one person is good. All right. How's everybody else doing? Are you snowy? Are you okay? Thank you for traversing the snow. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Chris Warzowski. I serve as a campus life pastor at our Lewis Center campus. However, I know many of you because a year ago, I had the privilege to uh, serve alongside with Corey and to help Corey with the launch of this campus, our Plain City campus. And so uh, it's good to be among friends. It's good to be with you uh, on this snowy Sunday morning. Uh, whether it's your first time here at LifePoint, if you've been at LifePoint for a while, we're so glad you glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we've been in a series called Not Without Hope, and uh, we've been in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so as we're in this series, if you would like to follow along this morning, you can go on your phone. You can go to lpguest.com, click the Plain City Campus under the message notes, and you can follow along with us, uh, or you can use the QR code that is in front of you. So with all that said, we're, we're in this series, and we've been talking about this reality uh, that life is hard. Right? Life can be hard. Oftentimes, circumstances, struggles, people, and even spiritual forces, they try to kill our hope. However, the good news is that Jesus is the source of enduring hope. And here's, here's what we like to say. We like to say that hope is the spiritual ability to imagine a better future. And the reality is for us that that can be very difficult at times. Can it not? Especially when we find ourselves facing trials, frustrating circumstances, or even facing the unknown. And so here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to look at Paul. Paul is, is the famous missionary, church planner, and he himself, he is looking for hope for him and for his friends as they're experiencing persecution, temptation, and discouragement. And so if you want to follow along, uh, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. All right, so Paul, he's on a missionary journey to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, at a number of different cities uh, in the Roman Empire. And he stops at the city called Thessalonica, Thessalonica. And the city of Thessalonica was a port of call for ships, um, and ships would stop for supplies there. Uh, but what was interesting about this Greek city was that there was a significant Jewish population there, so much so, so that there was a local synagogue where the Jews would go and they would worship. They would be taught the Hebrew scriptures, just like, hey, we're gathering here this morning to learn from the scriptures. And so Paul uh, comes to Thessalonica, and he decides to begin to share the gospel there. Uh, particularly in that synagogue. And so his message was that the Hebrew Bible, which is much of our Old Testament, his message was that all of that points to one person, Jesus. Jesus. He teaches that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. He teaches that Jesus is the long-awaited one sent by God to suffer, to die, to be raised again, just like what we sung about this morning, right? The son of suffering, right? In order that we might be forgiven for our sin, that we can have peace with God again, that you and I, even though we have sinned, we have rebelled against God and his law, that God doesn't leave us in that, but what does he do? He comes to us in the person of Jesus so that we can be reconciled, have peace with him again. And so Paul goes and he shares the gospel, and guess what happens? 
people begin to respond to the gospel. Exactly what we want to see happen, right? And so many of the local Jews there begin to understand, yeah, the Old Testament does. The Hebrew scriptures, they do point to Jesus. I believe that Jesus really is the one who has come so that I can have peace with God again, that it's through him, through grace in him, through what he accomplished for me, that I can have peace with God. So not only do the Jews begin to respond, but there are a number of Greeks, people who wouldn't have any knowledge or very much at all of the Hebrew scriptures, they begin to respond to the gospel. And then there are influential people in the communities, specifically influential women in the community who also place their faith in Jesus. And so what we see is different people joining this new gospel community that is forming. And it's really, it's a new church plant. That's what it is. It's a new church plant. People from different backgrounds whose lives are being changed by Christ. And so Paul, he's working alongside them. He's living alongside them. He's having meals with them. He's having spiritual conversations around the scriptures. He's pouring into them. He's showing them this is what it looks like to to know Jesus, to follow Jesus. And, And they're living life together. I mean, really, this is the missionary's dream, isn't it? It's the church planner's dream to see a whole bunch of different people in a community come together and and be connected together by new life in Jesus. And so this church planner's dream is taking place, and then guess what happens? The dream kind of becomes a nightmare. Uh, Life gets very hard for Paul and for these new Christians in Thessalonica. Opposition and persecution begin to take place. There are non-believing Jews there who are furious with Paul's message, who reject his message. They're, They're offended by his message. Not only that, but they're jealous of of the growing religious movement that they view Paul as the leader of. And so they become very violent and they begin to instigate riots in the city. They accuse Paul of upsetting society and opposing Caesar's decrees. And it gets so bad that the local governmental officials have to bring in some of these new Christians for a hearing, find out what is going on and how do we deal with all this violence that's taking place in our city. And so Paul comes to a really difficult tension point and he cares about his friends and in order to not bring any more hardship on them or potentially risk their their safety, he flees to the city of Berea. Now this is Berea, Greece, not Berea up near Cleveland, okay? That's right, Uh, Berea, Greece, right? It's about uh, 50 miles away. It would have been a two and a half day journey back then and so Paul flees to to there, okay? Now you would think things would calm down a little bit. Well, so Paul spends about seven weeks now in Berea. And guess what he does there? The same thing that Paul can't help but do. He begins to share the gospel, right? And guess what happens? People begin to respond to the gospel in Berea and lives are being changed there. However, some of the people in Thessalonica who had kicked Paul out of town hear what's happening 50 miles over in Berea. And furious, guess what they do? They make the journey over to Berea just to kick Paul out of Berea as well. It gets so bad that some of Paul's friends have to escort him to a ship so he can make a week-long voyage to Athens, Greece. And so this is where we arrive at our text today. At least a few months go by and Paul is incredibly concerned for his friends. He just wants to know that they're okay. So much so that he says that we could bear it no longer. You know, back then they didn't have cell phones just to call or text and check in, right? Hey, you guys doing okay? Right? His friends couldn't get on Facebook and mark themselves safe from their angry neighbors, okay? And so 
So Paul wants to go back, but he knows he can't. He can't go check on them because it wouldn't be safe for him. It's not going to be safe for them. All those things are going to be stirred up again. So what Paul does is he sends his very good friend, a a man that he has been mentoring and encouraging and who's been traveling with him and kind of his coworker and sharing the gospel. He sends Timothy to go check in on them and to encourage them. Uh, There was a book that I read as a child called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Has anybody ever read that book? Or maybe if you have kids, you, you read that book. It's about a young man from the time he wakes up with gum in his hair to the rest of the day, he just has a, a, a terrible day. And when I was reading and studying this text, I thought, Paul is, is like having an Alexander moment in life. He is having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad season of life here. Uh, Paul's just trying to be obedient. He's trying to do what God is asking him to do, and yet it seems like he just can't catch a break. He's trying to do what seems right, And yet, time and time again, he's facing opposition and persecution for it. And clearly, things don't seem to be going according to his plans or or the way he might have expected. And so now, Paul is kind of stuck, not really being able to see to the other side of this situation, not really being able to know if his friends are okay, not really knowing if he can see to the other side of this trial, this circumstance, this discouragement that he's facing. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a season of life where you feel like you're just trying to take steps and yet one thing after another, you're just discouraged and frustrated and, and maybe if you're a Christian, you say, Lord, what, what's, what's going on here? I, I feel like I can't see to the other side of this. I know I've had many seasons in my life like that. Maybe you've had a, a season too, but I, I think what we're gonna learn this morning is that even in those seasons, that hope still exists where sight does not. Hope still exists where sight does not. You know, Paul's friendship uh, with the Christians um, in Thessalonica really caused me, as I was studying, to think about Jesus' friendship with his disciples, as we see in the Gospels, uh, specifically in the Gospel of John. You know, Jesus and his, his disciples, they traveled together, they lived and ate, and they labored together. They had this deep bond of friendship that was just cultivated over time. And if you read the Gospel of John, specifically chapters 13 to 16, uh, Jesus begins to try to prepare them for all that he's going to suffer and how he's going to go to the cross and die. And yet even... Even with all of that, in in the ways he tried to encourage them and prepare them, I can't imagine how hopeless they must have felt in those moments when they saw their dear friend, the one they had followed, the one they had trusted. They see him hanging on a cross, dying, suffering, suffocating in pain. And while the disciples couldn't yet see it, when they couldn't yet see to, to the other side of the cross, when they couldn't yet see to the other side of burying their friend in a tomb, when they couldn't yet see to the other side of persecution and having to hide in friends' homes with fear that they were gonna be put to death next, we know that hope for them still existed where sight did not. So let's continue on to read 1 Thessalonians Go to verse three and four. Paul says he sent Timothy to encourage his friends. Why? So that no one be moved by these afflictions, he says. For you, you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, just as you know. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? 
For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So I have to be honest with you. I don't know, um, I don't know everything or even that much about boxing, uh, the sport of boxing, but what I did know, I learned from one man, and his name is Rocky Balboa. Have y'all ever seen the Rocky movies or the Creed movies? So I'm just going to be honest with you. I've seen every Rocky movie. I, I, I like them all. I've seen both Creed movies, and my wife, Katie, and I, we were at the movies a few weeks ago, and there was a trailer for the new Creed movie that's coming out, I think next month, and as soon as it was, it was over, she looked at me. She goes, you're going to see that, aren't you? I said, yes, I am, and so I uh, look forward to that, but in the Rocky movies, and in seemingly every Rocky movie, when Rocky is, is in a fight with an opponent who's bigger, stronger, faster, more intimidating than he is, and when it seems like Rocky just can't go on anymore, a trainer will say something to him like, like Rocky, I'm going to throw in the towel, and I'm going to stop this fight. And Rocky, covered in blood, sweat, and tears, will yell back out, no, no matter what. Don't you stop this fight. That's a poor Rocky impression, I know, right? Adrian. All right, so but we, what we do here, what we do in this text is we get a glimpse into Paul's heart. We get, a, we get a glimpse into Paul's desire for his friends to not throw in the towel. He's like a spiritual father. He's like a spiritual dad who's, com- who's deeply concerned. He's even fearful for his kids. He's afraid because of the affliction and the persecution and the hardship and the discouragement that they face that they may somehow walk away from Christ and walk away from the the hope that they have in him. He's afraid they're going to throw in the towel. And so he sends Timothy to check on them. Why? Because he's burdened to contend, to fight, to contend for them, for God's very best for them. So let me ask you this. What burdens you? Who do you want to contend for? What do you hope for? You know, all of us, every single one of us, and this is normative to the human experience, we're all going to wrestle with doubts. We're going to wrestle with concerns, disappointments, and fears. But let me ask you this. What is the subject of your disappointments? What is the subject of your concerns? What is the subject of your hopes? And if you're like me, and I'm just going to be honest, sometimes I can be so concerned and so burdened with things that are really kind of all about me. But then I look at Paul's example here, and I'm challenged. Because even as he's experiencing a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad season of life, he's burdened for his friends. He's burdened for their hearts. He cares about their eternity, and he's just hoping that they're still clinging to Christ. And so I have to ask myself tough questions. Do I hope for things that matter to God? Am I burdened for people who God has made and who God loves? And do I hope for the realities of God's best to become evident in people's lives, both now and for eternity? What do you hope for? What do we hope for? You know, there are three paradoxes to the Christian life that um, these Christians in Thessalonica, they're experiencing. And for us, we're going to experience every one of these as well. The first one is this. We live in the world, but not of this world. Uh, Maybe you're here this morning, 
and you've been around church for quite a while, you've heard this phrase, right? So let's talk about it a little bit. This comes from John 17. John is, or uh, Jesus, excuse me, is praying for his disciples, and he asks his heavenly Father that the disciples would be sanctified in truth. What does he mean by that? Well, here's what he means, that in other words, we are to be set apart, to be transformed, to be like Jesus, to live in a way that honors and pleases God and to be able to serve him well. And so here's what happens. As you and I, as we live in the world, God is intentionally shaping us to be more and more like his son in order that we'll both honor him but also serve God's greater purposes. And so here's the encouragement, here's the hope that we have uh, for if you're a Christian, as we face trials, as we face circumstances, as we face discouragements, as we face disappointments, is that God does not waste that. He does not waste it. And even when we can't see to the other side of those things, we are not without hope because God just might be using those things to shape us to be more like Jesus and to be used for his greater purposes, including reaching and loving other people well. God does not waste that. Second thing, we contend for the world, but we will often be rejected by the world. It's interesting because Jesus taught both of these, uh, both of these things to his disciples. In Matthew 28, he said to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's in Matthew 28, 19. And then in John 15, 20, he says, remember what the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You know, when we have a gospel burden for people, when we want to contend for people, We'll want people to know Jesus. And so we'll do things, we'll have habits in our lives to help people be pointed to Jesus, who he is and what he's accomplished for them. And so we'll maybe share our story of what Christ has done in our life or we'll share the gospel with somebody or we'll invite people into the context of Sunday morning worship or in life groups so they can know just a little bit more of who Jesus is so they can really experience who he is. But the reality with this is there's going to be times when we're trying to be faithful in this way, when we're trying to contend for people because we love people and we care about the things that God cares about and we love people because God loves people. But there will be times where this is going to be really difficult. You know why? Because we're going to be rejected. And rejection is really hard. If you're like me, you do not like the idea of putting yourself in a position to potentially be rejected. Like it's, it's, it's no fun. Uh, my wife, Katie, part of her story is um, while she had grown up in church, when she was in college um, and she was a young adult, um, she had very little interest in God, very little interest in Jesus um, and in the church. Uh, she grew up in the church but had some really painful experiences and she didn't want anything to do with the gospel. She wanted anything to do with church anymore. But she had friends who, who went to a church near her college campus and they had life groups of students and young adults and every week on Thursday, Katie would get a knock at her door. Same friends every week. Hey, Katie, come on, come with us, come with us. And she'd be annoyed. She'd say, no, no, stop inviting me, no. But guess what? They kept inviting her. Until one week, I think she got annoyed enough to where she said, fine, I'll go. And so she went with our friends. And it was through that church that Katie began to hear the gospel taught. She began to really understand who Jesus is and all that he accomplished, accomplished for her and how much God really loved her. And she began to realize that it was only with Jesus, it was only 
Jesus who could satisfy her soul. And she ended up taking that step. She placed her faith in Jesus. And since then, God has been transforming her life over time. You know, I just want to encourage you. If you're here this morning, someone invited you, that person genuinely cares about you because they were willing to take the risk to invite you to be here. Even though they could be rejected by you, they were willing to take the risk because they care about you that much and they care about you experiencing God's love for you that much. Here's a third paradox. While we have a spiritual enemy, we have been given spiritual victory. Paul says to the Thessalonians that he had fear that somehow the tempter had tempted them. And in John 17, when Jesus prays for his disciples, he asks his heavenly father, says, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In the scriptures, we see that God has an adversary. He's known as the devil or Satan. And he hates God. And because God loves you and I so much, he hates us too. He's our spiritual enemy. and He wants nothing more than to shipwreck our faith. So I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you're kind of like the Thessalonian Christians, maybe you're new to the faith, maybe you just started following Jesus, or maybe you had walked away and you were wandering for some time, but now you're coming back and you're, and you're trying to take steps. But if you've been taking those steps and all of a sudden there are things that are trying to discourage you, or maybe you've been tempted to go back to old habits where, that were part of your life before Jesus, I want to encourage you, don't throw in the towel. Keep taking steps. Keep clinging to Jesus because here's the reality. In his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, Jesus holds victory. He holds victory over Satan, over sin, and over anything in this world that would try to hinder your walk with him. Don't throw in the towel. Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will have trial. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, maybe you find yourself a bit like Paul. You've been following Jesus for a while now. You've been trying to be faithful. You've been trying to take steps of obedience. But you don't really feel like you're seeing the fruit of your labor. It's incredible to me that you think about Paul. God used Paul to write so much of the New Testament. He's this great missionary, church planner, and yet even Paul got discouraged. Even Paul asked the question, has my labor been in vain? Have I really made an impact? Am I really making a difference here? Even Paul asked those questions, which makes me feel a little better, bit better when I ask those questions, and hopefully that encourages you. Too. Well, Paul is going to get his answer. Timothy, after going and visiting with the Thessalonians, he comes back with a report for Paul. And we're going to see that in verses 6 and 7. Paul says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Timothy returns to Paul after visiting with the Christians in Thessalonica. And he returns with a, a good report that brings encouragement and joy and comfort to Paul. And there are three key things we, we see here in, in Timothy's report. One is, is the faith of the Christians there. That even though they had experienced opposition, persecution, and temptation, 
They were faithfully following Jesus together. They didn't throw in the towel. They didn't throw in the towel. Secondly, their love. In John 13, Jesus says to his disciples, to his disciples, he says, you know how people are gonna know you're my disciples? In the way that you love one another. In the way that you love one another. I mean, think about the dynamics of this, of this church plant in Thessalonica. There were new Christians who had come from different backgrounds of race, religion, and gender, and there was a good report of their love for one another. And their, that report of their love is a testimony, it's a witness to their faithfulness to Jesus. <laughs> and then finally, their friendship. You know, uh, there's a chance that Paul was probably concerned with how Timothy was gonna be received by the people there. Paul was probably wondering, are they gonna be bitter at me and frustrated with me that they had to deal with so much violence and hatred and frustration? Are they gonna be frustrated with me? Are they gonna be frustrated with Timothy when he comes? And are they gonna be concerned it's gonna get bad again? But instead, it's clear that they miss Paul. They miss their friend, their spiritual father, and they hope to see him soon as he hopes to see them. And Paul, even with the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad season he experienced, with all the persecution, distress, and discouragement, Paul now finds himself encouraged and energized to continue to be faithful to do all that God had asked him to do. Why? Because he had people encouraging him. Instead of having thrown in the towel, he sees them faithfully following Jesus. And Paul finds himself being the one to receive the encouragement. So you know, in the Rocky movies, there's one key thing that I notice in every single movie, okay? One key thing, that Rocky, when he fights, he never fights alone. He never fights alone. He always has people in his corner encouraging him, caring for him, challenging him, literally holding him up. And when we think about friendship, the idea of Christ-tethered friendships, I have two questions for you. The first is this. Who's in your corner? Who's in your corner? Who are you growing in the bonds of friendship with? If you're a Christian, who's encouraging you as you take steps in your walk with Christ? Who's caring for you? Who's challenging you? Who's there to remind you of truth as you face trial? Who's there to pick you up a little bit when you're discouraged? You know, this is why we do life groups, so that we can grow an authentic community with one another, so we can be in each other's corner. So I encourage you, we're starting a brand new term of life groups this week. Don't walk alone. Don't walk alone. Have people in your corner. We've got life group catalogs that you can get uh, at Guest Central. You can get plugged into a life group this week and be walking with other Christians. Students, middle school and high school students, encourage you, get plugged into student life group. Get plugged into a life group. And then the second question is this. Whose corner are you in? What we learned from Paul, from Timothy, from the Christians in Thessalonica is that while our faith is personal, our faith isn't just about us. My faith is just not about me and it's not just, and your faith is not just about you, but we grow in and we live out our faith in community as God is transforming us. And as he does that, he uses us in the lives of people he loves. So let me ask you, whose corner are you in? Who are you encouraging? As God is teaching you, who are you sharing that with? Who are you living life alongside of? You know, in, uh, in my role, I've served in the arena of 
families and next generation ministries uh, for years. You know, we have a whole generation of kids and students who need people in their corner. And, and my hope and my prayer, both at LifePoint and really across the church, is that we would have gospel hopes for the next generation, that God will put it on our hearts not to stand back and be referees, who stand back and watch, but that we would be in their corner, that we would be trainers in the faith, present in their lives, encouraging them, cheering them on, pointing them to the source of enduring hope, Jesus Christ. And listen, I know there's a specific need for LifePoint kids leaders and LifePoint students leaders across our campuses. I just want to encourage you, if you're not serving on a life team yet, and you're willing to have a conversation about serving and leading with the next generation, I want you to do me a favor. Go to Guest Central after service. Just let them know you're willing to have a conversation. Um, and then some, someone will follow up with you this week and just help you explore taking a next step. But I know we've got a need for kids leaders, and I know we've got a, lead, uh, a need especially for student leaders, so I encourage you to take that step. Finally, I'll say this. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Paul went from, in one letter, asking, is my labor in vain? And then in another letter, letter, he arrives at, friends, no matter what, we have victory, our labor is not in vain vain. Friends, we are not without hope. Whatever trials, circumstances, or unknowns we face, whatever we can't see to the other side of, we have hope that is found in a victory won. Christ has overcome the world. He has overcome the enemy, and he has overcome both sin and death. So in Jesus, our hope is secure. Our eternity is sure. Our labor is not in vain because Jesus has won victory for us in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that he's able to empathize with us and our experiences, our suffering, our trials, our discouragements, because Lord, your son, he suffered greatly. And yet God, as he suffered, he suffered in order to bring us enduring hope. The son of suffering came and brought us hope. God, that we could have peace with you again now, but also hope for eternity, making us yours. God, thank you for the hope of the gospel. Lord, that whatever we are walking through today, whatever burdens that we're carrying, doubts that we have, things that we're walking through, God, your son reigns and we can cling to him, the one who knows what it's like to suffer, the one who knows what it's like to walk through trial, to walk through hardship. And God, I thank you that we are not without hope. We have Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never said, I've, I've never really clung to Jesus to be my home. I've never really said, Jesus, I know what you've done for me and I want, I want you to lead me. I, I want you to forgive me for my sins. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. 
And you can just join me in praying some, something just like this. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, that I've done wrong in my life. But I also know that you did not reject me, but you came and you lived the perfect life that I couldn't. And you died the death that I deserved. And you rose again three days later so that I could be forgiven and have peace with God again. Jesus, I receive that. Now, Jesus, will you lead me as I follow you? Transform me every day so that I can be more like you, so that I can serve you until I join you in heaven. Lord Jesus, thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you for the security that you bring based on what you have accomplished. And God, help us. Help us to be faithful. Help us to not throw in the towel. Help us to be in each other's corner. Help us to serve each other well. Help us to love each other well so that the world would know that we are your disciples. So the world would know that we're your people. So that we would bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus.